Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant Holy Land's flagship podcast. I am your host, Gene Ross, and joining me, as always, is Josh Dooley. Josh, how are you doing on this fine Halloween morning on this fine Sunday? Uh, I'm doing good, Gene. Avoided uh, a bad case of the Sunday scaries because the Buckeyes got a win last night, and I think I may have added a couple gray hairs, but I actually really enjoyed that game. I thought it was a good win, so excited to talk about it and just talk about some uh, some Big Ten football. But Gene, how was your weekend, man? Yeah, it was pretty good. You know, I spent most of the day watching football yesterday, and like you said, you know, it wasn't... I, I think your prediction on this game was a little bit closer than mine. I expected more of a blowout. You expected more of a tighter game, and I guess that's just kind of what Penn State does in this matchup, even though they've only won the one on that block field goal. They just find a way to keep this game close regardless of the trajectory of both of the teams teams and yeah like you said it was a really good game if I if I was just a neutral observer of this game it would have been really fun to watch but as an Ohio State fan it was a lot of stress and not a lot of fun at times but at the end of the day Ohio State comes away with a win 33-24 over Penn State um, there was there was some times where this game was in doubt I wouldn't say that you know Ohio State was leading for pretty much the majority of the game but there were some moments where there was there was some doubts uh, and you know I, I think the main stories of this game was Ohio State's red zone offense, and then uh, how well their defense played. I think those are the two big key storylines in this game. You know, Penn State came in ready to play. I think they really looked to stop the run. They really sold out to stop Travion Henderson. I think they were more scared of him than they were C.J. Stroud. And to their credit, they did a really good job. And obviously, at the end of the day, you know, both of their stats look pretty good on paper. But having watched the game, I think Penn State's defense did a really good job. I think this is still one of the best defenses Ohio State plays this year. And, you know, we said that in the preview that that could be the case. Um, even without PJ Mustafer, their run defense was really good. And I know they let up, you know, 350 yards to Illinois last week, but they clearly came in here with a game plan to stop Trayvon Henderson. And they did a really good job of doing that for the most part. Um, and you know, their, their defensive backs played okay. Um, this is a really good defensive secondary. I think Ohio state's receivers are just too good to stop. And, you know, they, they, they were still consistently open, but they did a good job of limiting a lot of the, the big plays that we've seen the last couple of weeks. So all in all, you know, it's a good win for Ohio State. You know, the Penn State game is never easy. It's another win over a ranked team under their belt. Uh, but I, I think it's good that the team had some of these struggles. It gives them something to work on moving forward. And, you know, overall, like I said, you know, a win's a win and you just got to survive in advance. Yeah, I think that Penn State typically plays Ohio State very well. They kind of get up for this game. I, I don't know how much of a rivalry everyone considers it, but I think at least for the last handful of years, it's been a rivalry that, a lot of you know national media people and fans and stuff have paid attention to. It's a big game every year. And it was a big game again this year, despite the fact that Penn State had lost two in a row. Um, now three in a row. They started out five and oh, who knows where their season goes. But I think that I think Penn State's a good football team. I think they have run into a tough stretch, obviously. I think the Illinois game was a look ahead game and they got caught uh, with, you know, with their pants down against uh, Brett Bielema, who anything, anytime he can put a feather in his cap, um, you know, he's looking for big wins, especially trying to restart that Illinois program. But I think that Penn State, like I said, I think it's still a really good team. I think that their defense, especially uh, I was talking in our Slack and some with some friends of mine. I think Penn State's defense could put half a dozen guys in the NFL. And so I'm not surprised that Ohio State was not able to put up 500 yards um, and that Travion Henderson was not able to run wild. It's more or less what I expected. Um, the play calling was a little 
odd or conservative, but I'm still not going to doubt Ryan Day. I mean, it didn't work up the middle. I get it. We we struggled to run the ball, whereas Illinois ran it for 350. I don't know that you really read into that too much. Um, it's all about game plan and what Penn State was trying to do. So I, I'm pleased with the offensive performance and the defense I thought played really, really well. I know that Sean Clifford threw for 360 yards, but they ran the ball 29 times for 33 yards. Even if you take out the sacks that Ohio State had uh, in limited chances, Penn State ran it for like 2.2 yards per carry, if my math was right on that. So um, Penn State clearly came in with a game or Ohio State went in with a game plan to make Sean Clifford try to beat them. And while he threw for you know 360 yards, he attempted 52 passes. He turned the ball over twice. So I think Ohio State accomplished what they wanted to do, and it was to beat a good Penn State team who was they were looking for something, right? Penn State wanted this game, even if they're out of the CFP conversation. They had lost two in a row. They wanted to take down the Buckeyes. They always want to take down the Buckeyes. This was. I don't want to say a Super Bowl for them or a playoff game for them, but this was a huge game for them. So you knew they were going to get up for it. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm optimistic after this game, Ohio state needed to face a really good opponent, especially after, after three or four thrashings of some subpar opponents. So I thought this was a good game. And I think that Ohio state fans have to deal with the fact that it's a nine point win uh, against a ranked team. And, and take it and move on. It's a good thing. You know, they're not all going to be easy. We're not going to go in and win every single game by 30, 40, 50 points. That's just not the way this thing works. Um, you know, it, it would have been, imagine losing to an unranked team, you know, and teams do that. Teams that are as good or better than Ohio State, it happens. So it's a good victory. Take the win, move on and, and build towards later in the season. Yeah, absolutely. You know, just speaking about scoring 40 or 50 on everyone, I think I want to start here with a little bit more of an in-depth look at the offense in this game. Uh, We can start with the running game like I I touched on before and how you touched on a little bit of how Penn State really sold out to stop Trayvon Henderson the run. You know, his final stats look good. He rushed for 28 times for 152 yards and a touchdown. But if you take out his long 68-yard rush, he ran it 27 times for 84 yards, so about three yards a carry. Uh, not we're accustomed to seeing from Trayvon Henderson. I don't think a lot of that was his fault. I think the offensive line had a really tough time run blocking. I don't, you know, we've talked about this a little bit in the past on this podcast. The the four tackles offensive line has struggled a bit in run blocking. And it's weird because like in this game, they struggled so mightily with it for like 90% of the game. But then there was some times in that fourth quarter where they would just open up a hole that like me or Josh could run through. And it's just that they can't do it consistently, but when they do it, it's just so glaringly obvious how good they are at blocking. So they do have to continue to work on that run blocking. I don't know if you want to throw a Matt Jones in there and just get another guard in there to, to help with that run blocking. I think overall, you know, the offensive line has played well, especially in pass protection, but the run blocking has been an issue at times. Ohio State couldn't really run up the middle at all in this game, and they just kept trying to do it. And then, like, you know, towards the end of the game, they started to try to run a little bit more outside, and they had a little bit more success. So I don't know yeah, why hey, they Gene, didn't. Yeah, Gene, what do you think was with that? Do you think that that was, um, like, stubbornness from Ryan Day to continue to try and run it up the middle? Do you think it was the game plan that they just wanted to stick with? I mean, we all saw it. It seemed like dive after dive after dive up the middle. 
and it was never really effective. Why do you think they stuck with it as much as they did? Yeah, I'm not entirely sure. I believe one of the players in the the post game press conference said that like Penn State was calling out their plays before they're happening, and it's like yeah, because they know you're running a dive on first and ten. Like they, you've done it every drive. No, no, I, I'm calling it out too. But yeah, I mean it is weird. We've seen them do it so like so well in like every other game so far. So I guess they just didn't want to go away from it. But and you know obviously with Penn State missing PJ Mustafer, that's a big hole up the middle. But after you do it 10 times and it doesn't work, you know, maybe time to try something else. And especially, you know, I think a big problem with the run game in this game specifically was that they're running a lot of like pseudo read option run plays, but CJ Stroud never runs it. So like at, at a certain point, you just, you got to run a different run play because if Stroud isn't going to be a willing runner, there's, there's no point running the read option. They're just going to key on Henderson every single time because Stroud never pulls it. So I thought that was a little odd. I'd like to see more creativity in the run game, especially. I'm sure they'll try to work on that moving forward, whether that's you know different run plays or mixing around the offensive line, what have you. But the run game was definitely a bit of an issue in this game. I still think you know Trayvon Henderson still looked really, really good when he was given the opportunity to look really good. He still made people miss, broke some tackles, and did the most with what he was given, especially on that that long run and a couple of his runs late in this game. Um, moving to the pass game, C.J. Stroud. Finished 22 of 34, 305 yards and a touchdown. I thought he played well. You know, there was a lot of plays where he he extended drives and kept plays going. He's been really good at that, you know, throughout this season. Um, he did miss, obviously, the critical throw on fourth down. I think, I, I, I kind of think that was because they forced him to run 80 yards down the field for a play that was clearly a, a incomplete pass on the, the, the play before when they called it like a fumble on the field and then immediately overturned it because it was clearly an incomplete pass. And I don't know if yes. he was just exhausted and he just literally couldn't loft the ball far enough into the end zone, but that no, was a Gene, weird play. So that was... Um, you know, I was watching the post game coverage here in Columbus, uh, like the local news stations and everything immediately after the game, they, uh, they're airing the whole presser from all the players. And he said that on that, when he thought Olave was just going to sit down in the middle there, he thought that the corner was kind of creeping towards the corner. And so he thought that that would have been more of a hitch than it was sort of that extended out or that route towards the kind of corner of the end zone that Olave ended up running. So that sounds like it was a miscommunication and Stroud took responsibility for that. He said it was a bad read on his part. He was trying to float one in there. So while I do think the penalty or, or I'm sorry, not the penalty, the, the call of, you know, not just whistling that play dead beforehand was ludicrous. And we can talk about officiating too, but the, the throw, the short throw, was more of a miscommunication between those two guys. Oh, yeah, so that's interesting. I mean, that, that was a tough look just because Olave was so wide open and it was a free touchdown there But when the Penn State blew their assignment. But other than that, you know, I thought he made a lot of the right decisions. He didn't, you know, he didn't force anything. He did miss a couple guys, you know, whether it was a, a bad throw or just a guy that was open that he didn't see. But for the most part, I thought he played really well. Um, they were trying to get in his face. Clearly, they they were blitzing a lot. They were trying to put pressure on him. And I thought he handled it, you know, for the majority pretty well. Uh, the receivers, Jackson Smith and Jigba, was the leading receiver in this game with six catches for 97, and then Garrett Wills behind him with seven for 82. Uh, Olave only had three catches for 44 yards in this game, but he did have a ton of targets. It looked like Penn State was all, you know, if, while they were keying in on Trayvon Henderson in the run game, they definitely wanted to stop the big plays to Chris Olave in this game. And he did have the long 38-yard touchdown. But other than that, they really held him in check. I think they were doubling him up a lot in this. And, you know, overall, they really the, the only problems for this offense outside of the run game was the red zone, where they went one of six in, in, in terms of touchdowns inside the red zone, which we haven't seen Ohio State struggle in this year. And I think a lot of that was the run game. 
but a lot of it was also just play calling. They they tried to get cute at times. They they ran some weird plays. We're not accustomed to running. I, I think Ohio State could have just you know run crossers in the red zone and probably scored every single time. I don't know why they didn't trust their wide receivers who seemingly are open on every play to just get them easy first downs and touchdowns in the red zone. They they kept trying to force the run game and force like weird screen passes and stuff, and it just wasn't working. And you know if there's any complaint about the Ohio State offense, it would be that that red zone efficiency in this game, but. I'm sure that's something they will work on in practice this week, especially when they have to work on it when the run game isn't working. You can't always assume that you're just going to be able to run the ball about every team you play is throw it, especially if you play a team like Georgia in the playoffs, that they're not going to let you just run up the middle. So, you know, overall, it wasn't the prettiest performance for an Ohio State offense that we've seen just look absolutely dominant these past couple weeks, but there's some clear things that could be worked on, and I think it's good that they have these things to work on moving forward so they, you know, they know that they're not perfect and they can't just coast the rest of the way. Yeah, I'm okay with what we saw from the offense. I, obviously, I think the uh, I'm still not understanding the play calling at certain times. You mentioned um, like in the red zone and the lack of crossers. It seemed it seemed like the middle of the field was going to be open all night, and they didn't really take advantage of it like we've seen. I mean the the Olave touchdown was deep middle, and there were a couple short to intermediate catches from JSN and Garrett Wilson. But I, I felt like that could have been open every single play. And it it has been for a lot of the season. So it was a little odd that that we didn't get more of that, um, you know, crossers, middle seams, things like that. Although Jeremy Ruckert had a beautiful catch and it was a beautiful throw by CJ Stroud on a deep seam there in the middle, too. But it seemed like they were planning for something and they stayed committed to it. And that was the run game and kind of trying to hit the boundaries a little bit more than they did kind of going outside. So look, it wasn't a it, It's not what we were accustomed to seeing the last month or so, but at the end of the day, CJ Stroud, another 300 yard game, another game with no turnovers. So Look, he didn't throw for 400 yards and four touchdowns, but he still completed 65% of his passes. He protected the ball. I thought that he stepped up really well in the pocket at times. I mean, the the pocket presence on the touchdown to Olave was beautiful. And kudos to Thayer Munford, too. We hit on the offensive line, and, and we're going to continue to bang on them a little bit. I don't think it was their best game, but on that play in particular, Thayer Munford kind of re-blocked his guy and re-engaged when CJ was able to step up in the pocket and then put a beautiful throw on Chris Olave. So I thought he played well. I think that Travion Henderson, while he wasn't as effective as we've seen in weeks past, I thought it was good and it was promising that he got 28 carries. I I had asked, you know, in, in previous pods, were we going to see that from him? And Look, five yards of carry, even if you take out the one big one, three and a half, you're going to have games like that, especially against a good defense. So I'm just happy that he was able to carry the ball 28 times, come out, it seems like, healthy. We did see him exit the, the game a time or two just briefly. So you're going to need that later in the season, especially when you go up against the Michigans and the Michigan States and things like that. That's Big Ten football. So get used to carrying it 25, 30 times a game um, and the receivers and those guys, I think I'm surprised that they were limited as much as they were. But again, Penn state's got a really good secondary, you know, Jair Brown, um, Brisker, Castro fields, Joey Porter, jr. Those guys are good 
defensive backs, you know, two or three or all four of them could eventually play in the league on Sunday in the NFL. So I think that they did a good job. Kudos to them. Joey Porter Jr. especially was jawing quite a bit of the game. So, you know, he was up for it. He wanted to prove himself and he only had two tackles, but I thought his coverage was good on those guys. So look, you'll, you'll take it. It's, it's 30 some points. It's what, 400 total yards or um, what was the total yardage there? Yeah. 469. Look, you'll take it, uh, especially against a good Penn State defense. So the one thing that was a bit troubling, we've talked about it, is the offensive line. And it did seem like the interior was either susceptible uh, and they couldn't block as well up the gut when we were trying to run that dive play time and time again. But also there were just some some communication things. I think a couple of the false starts were poor communication. Luke Whipler clearly didn't have starts like they they had. 10 yeah. penalties in this game and I think like 8 of them were false starts and it was it wasn't even just the offensive line it was everyone Garrett Wilson got called for one Travion Henderson got one late in the game in a critical fourth and inches spot and I just it was so atypical for this team we haven't seen it all year I think they had more more false starts in this game than they've had all season and it was in front of the home crowd that was really odd to me and it was really frustrating yeah, and I wonder if that was due to Penn State potentially calling out their plays. I, w- I wonder if they were trying to mix it up and trick them a little bit to keep the Penn State defense off balance. But a lot of that comes down to your center, too. And Luke Whipler didn't have his best game. Uh, quarterback and center sort of run that. They kind of call those things out. And you saw on Thayer Munford's false start, he was unhappy with C.J. Stroud. So just a poor communication game. But the communication or the lack thereof also speaks to a couple of plays in the red zone. Um, gosh, what's the kid's name? Curtis Jacobs went unblocked multiple times, and that dude was a missile. He had seven tackles for the game, two for loss. Down in the red zone, it, it, they ignored him. He came off the edge a number of times and went unblocked. So they just have to tighten that up you're not going to play your best game week in and week out. It's about surviving and advancing. They need to work on some things and it's good that they know they have to work on those things. If they had continued to run through this schedule and if they bounced Penn state and they bounced Nebraska, who knows how well they're going to be prepared for a Michigan state and a Michigan. So um, things to work on. I think that the game plan could have, the play calling could have been better, but Again, too, I trust Ryan Day. I think that he wanted to, I think he respected the Penn State defense. So it was a little bit of a different game plan than we typically see from him. Maybe he was a little hard-headed on some of the running, but you'll go down with Ryan Day any day, right? He's one of the best offensive coaches, if not the best offensive mind in the country. So um, the one thing I also saw, and Gene, you probably wouldn't have seen this, but again, here locally on the post game kind of press conference, CJ Stroud was up there and he was talking and, you know, he's giving thanks to all his teammates and stuff, but they asked him about the zone reads. And I kind of laughed because he was like, look, if it's there, I'm going to run it. Um, I don't mind running. And I'm thinking to myself, that's just not true, sir. I've seen it. Exactly. And I was like, I, you're not being honest with yourself here. So while I appreciate his patience and his willingness to make the right play, even some of the times where he got out of the pocket, he may have had five, eight, 10 yards in front of him, and he's always wanting to throw. So 
while I appreciate the fact that he's looking downfield, he's just he's either oblivious to it or he's not being honest with himself that he, if he fancies himself a running threat, he's not. Um, and it's just, it's kind of weird because what did we see from him last year? Limited opportunities. He had a 48 yard touchdown run, I think it was against Michigan state. Um, and he just doesn't want to run the ball. So I don't know if that shoulder is still in the back of his head or if he's just being, if it's being hammered into him, Hey, make, you know, Travion's behind you, and then when, when you are out of the pocket, we want you to get the ball to your guys downfield. I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know why he's so um, uh, hesitant to run, but I, I got to chuckle out of that because it's not there, and he's not a threat. If he was more of a threat, I think that that run game, specifically in the middle of the line, in the middle of the field, would be much more effective, but teams do not respect him pulling the ball and taking it outside. Yeah, it's, it's the Dwayne Haskins problem. It's the same reason why Ohio State struggled to run with J.K. Dobbins when they had Dwayne Haskins back there, and it's because the, the quarterback isn't a run threat and, the, and the, all the linebackers could key in on the running back. And Penn State's linebackers, I thought you brought up, you know, one of their guys. I thought all of them really played well in this game. The yeah, trail, you know, you heard Lucetta's name come up a bunch. He plays kind of a, a cross between defensive end and linebacker, but all those guys I thought played really well. And yeah, Stroud is clearly a capable runner. We saw it last year against Michigan State with that long run. He just doesn't want to do it. And I don't know how much is that shoulder creeping into his head. He doesn't want to re-injure it. Or if, you know, Ryan Day saw all the times that uh, Justin Fields got banged up last year on run plays, he's trying to avoid that with Stroud. And, you know, like I said, to Stroud's credit, he's done a really good job of extending plays and keeping his eyes downfield and finding the open man more often than not. But you do, you know, when you've got green grass in front of you for a first down, you do occasionally have to take it. Even if you just want to run for, you know, six, seven yards, run out of bounds, just take the free yards and move on to the next play. There's no and reason he can to, slide. to do it. Like yeah, he doesn't have exactly. to take hits. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's it is definitely weird. We'll see if he, you know, I don't at this point I don't think we're going to see him start to run if we haven't seen it at, you know, to this point in the season, but I guess we will see. You know, maybe the game plan will call for a little bit more. Maybe Ryan Day gets a little bit more comfortable with him I doing it. I hope that they're sitting on something. I hope that I hope that this is the best smoke screen of all time and it infuriates Ohio State fans, but I hope that they get to a Michigan State or a Michigan game and CJ Stroud all of a sudden is willing to pull the ball and go outside. So I doubt it, but maybe this is the biggest game of possum that we've ever seen. Yeah, Ryan Day is pulling an 11-game long con and saving it for the Michigan game. I'm all for <laughs> that. But yeah, some of the things like you brought up, Trayvon Henderson having 28 carries is obviously a big deal. I think that's the most he's had all year. And he was the very, very, very clear number one in this game. You know, other than him, uh, Mayan Williams only had three carries, and then Garrett Wilson had one on an end around. And, uh, you know, obviously Master T wasn't available for this game, so he didn't have anything. But yeah, it was all Trayvon Henderson in the run game. Nobody else really touched the ball. Um, we saw again in the in the passing game, Jackson Smith and Jigba continues to come on quickly as one of the nation's top wide receivers to go along with the other two of the nation's top wide receivers that play next to him on that wide receiver course. Those are all tremendous weapons for CJ Stroud. And yeah, you know, overall, the offense, like you said, they they put up almost 500 yards, like 460 something. So it's still a really good game on paper. They just got to clean up some of the the play calling in the red zone. And you know, it, it, even if they score half the time there in the red zone this game, this this looks like a blowout on the final score. They probably win this game by 20. So. 
yeah, little Gene, things, so... little fixable things. I think is is good. You know, it's not like they were major glaring issues in this game. It's fixable things, little ticky tack penalties, weird play calling in the red zone. You could clean all that stuff up. It's not like they have you know personnel issues. I think they have you know obviously very very good players across the board on offense, and I don't. I'm not particularly worried about it. And kind of like you alluded to, you know, if they were just rolling everyone, they could kind of. I feel like next week could have been a potential trap game for them against Nebraska. Had they you know rolled in this game, they could be resting on their laurels, reading their own press clippings going to that Nebraska game and kind of sleepwalk through it. But now I think they they have something they want to show. They they got to come out there and kind of put up a better performance and they have things that they want to work on against Nebraska. So I think now that they're, I think honestly this was good for them moving forward. And I think it'll, you know, it'll lessen the chance of them, you know, losing a, in a clunker against a, a bad team. Yeah, I think they're going to remain sharp. But real quickly before we move on to like the defensive side of the ball, Noah Ruggles, you know, we left him out. I guess we'll include him in offense, even though that's a special teams unit. It, it was unfortunate that Ohio State struggled in the red zone, but I feel very fortunate that they have a dependable kicker. And for what it's worth, Ohio State's been hit and miss, but for the most part, they've actually had very reliable kickers. But Noah Ruggles has not missed on the season. He's nailed every extra point. He's nailed every field goal, and he wasn't he wasn't hitting bangers last night. They weren't 40, 45 yards, but the fact that we can rely on him if needed, I think is a good development. I think we sort of knew that beforehand. He, he still hadn't missed a kick before last night, but for him to go seven for seven in total and hit some high pressure field goals, I think that was a good thing too. Yeah, and I'm sure we will get a lot of play out of the gif of Ryan Day on his his last field goal, which <laughs> certainly didn't look like it was going in for most of it, but kind of curved its way in later on of him going like, oh, man, and then it just finally like barely sneaks in. But yeah, credit to Noah Ruggles. He doesn't get a lot of talk because, you know, he's obviously the Ohio State kicker, but he's been tremendous this season. He's 11 for 11 on the year on field goals. He's hit, you know, all four of his attempts from 30 to 39. He's 2 of 2 from 40 to 49. Uh, he's hit a long of 44. He's hit all 47 of his extra points. So yeah, you know, Credit to Ruggles coming in here as a transfer and winning the starting job, and he's been absolutely money for this Ohio State team. And, you know, that is, you know, you may not, Ohio State may not need to kick a ton of field goals for the rest of the season, maybe against a team like Michigan State or Michigan if there's more red zone struggles. But you do need, you know, especially when the playoff time comes around and these these games get close, you need to be able to rely on your kicker to hit the gimmies and, and get you those free points when you do struggle in the red zone. So to have a guy that you could trust to make these these field goals, regardless of the length, I think it's really good to have. And, you know, Ohio State has their kicker have been solid over the years, but they've had, you know, guys that are, you know, prone to miss a 30 or a 40 here and there that you think is a gimme, but Ruggles has been really, really good, and he was really good last night, and he scored, you know, almost as many points as the rest of the offense, so hats off to him, and, you know, a really good game from the kicking game. Uh, I think special teams overall has been a really good strength of Ohio State this year. I think their kick coverage has been good. I think their, you know, obviously the kick returns with Ibuka have been really good, so the special teams doesn't get a ton of love, but they've been a, a very good part of this team for most of the season. Yeah, I think that the, the less we talk about them, the better. And we haven't had a big reason to kind of harp on their play. And Noah Ruggles is consistent. Jesse Mirko is not Cam Johnston. He doesn't have those numbers, but he's good enough. He does his job back there. And you talked about the return game too. No opportunities last night outside of a couple um, punts, but that's been good. So the less you have to worry about it and the less you have to talk about it, the better. And that's why we don't bring it up very often. They're doing just fine, and I'll take that. Absolutely. So now we could, as we as we motion through the special teams real quick, we can now flip over to the defensive side of things where Ohio State held Penn State to 24 points. I thought overall they played really, really well. Um, 
Ron Hickman led the team with 14 total tackles. Um, a lot of different guys made contributions in this game. They did lose uh, Steel Chambers in the second half of this game to a targeting call. Um, so he'll, he'll be yeah, it wasn't it wasn't the best call in the world. The, the officiating this game was not the best, but nonetheless, um, he will miss the first half of the Nebraska game as well, uh, which is tough because he's quickly become one of Ohio State's best linebackers. He plays really fast, and he looked really good in this game before he got tossed. So. That, that stinks, but we did see uh, Pelele Neoteote record his first sack from the linebacker position, so that was good to see. And I thought one of the one of the big stories of this game was kind of the emergence of Tyreek Smith. He was looking like Clemson Tyreek Smith out there. He was, he was a man on a mission. He was getting to the quarterback constantly. He only recorded one sack, and ESPN only has him registered with one quarterback hurry, but he, he certainly had more of an impact on the game than that, and I thought he played really well. I thought the defensive line overall did not play particularly well. There wasn't a ton of pressure on Clifford outside of Tyree Smith and a couple of times that, uh, what's his face? Who am I? I can't think of his name. Uh, Zach Harrison. Zach Harrison had, had some good plays yeah. out there as well. Uh, them two kind of combined on the, one of the forced fumbles. Uh, JT Tweemelau also had a sack, but overall they weren't getting a ton of pressure through the most of the game, but I thought they did a decent enough job. They obviously did a great job of controlling the run game. Penn State didn't do pretty much anything on the rushing attack side um so you know the front front seven for Ohio State played really well uh the secondary I thought played okay you know they they were they did a good job Jahan Dotson wound up finishing with 11 catches for 127 yards but it certainly didn't feel like that during the game I didn't feel like he was you know torching them and they didn't allow anything big over the top which even when they've been struggling this year they've done a, a good job of overall they haven't allowed those really deep passing plays and when you're going up against a receiver as good as Jahan Dotson, that is a legitimate threat. So it was good to see that. You know, I thought Cam Brown and uh, I'm killing, I'm dying in names today. Denzel Burke, to Cam Brown, Denzel Burke, I thought both played really well. Cam Brown obviously had the pick; he made a good play on the ball, seeing that Clifford had overthrown it and getting back to make the play. Um, so overall, I thought the defense played, you know, pretty well. This isn't exactly the most explosive Penn State offense, but they clearly, you know, a, a healthy Clifford was clearly key in this game, and he was, you know, doing a little bit with his legs as well as throwing the ball. And so I thought, you know, for everything Penn State threw at them, I thought they did a pretty good job. And there's obviously more stuff to build on, but from where this, you know, from where this defense came from that Oregon game, this is a game that Ohio State probably loses in August if they played this, you know, right after the Oregon game or right before it. So it was good to see some growth on this Ohio State team, and that they can hang with you know some of the better offenses they'll see and that they they have improved at, at the very least. Yeah, so I was actually very impressed with the Ohio State defense and it really extends to each unit um, with the exception of the linebackers. I think that I think that Cody Simon and Taraja Mitchell for as much as they have improved and they've definitely got their strengths, I don't know that they're Great in pass coverage right now. Um, you yeah, know, we saw lot, Cody. There was a lot open over the middle in this game. And I think a lot of that is linebacker play. Exactly. You know, we saw Cody Simon. He can make the reads, but it's not consistent. We saw him read Sean Clifford's eyes. I think it was in the second half. An interception just sailed or a potential interception just sailed over his head. He was in the right spot at the right time. Um, but Taraja Mitchell, like I, I'm thinking of another play left seam he kind of gets turned around it's about a 20 yard completion over his head so while they're improving and you want those guys on the field I, I don't think that either one is great in coverage yet and we obviously missed steel chambers although for as much as he flies around I don't know what he would have done in coverage either I don't know that he's been exposed to it a lot so um that was the one unit where I'm like uh I would have liked to have seen more out of them but I think the defensive line did play well. 
You know, they were credited with four sacks in total. The team was, I mean, Ransom had one um, and Note Note was credited with a half. So it, it came from other players and other parts of the field. But I thought that they created consistent enough pressure. And I think that Antoine Jackson played a really good game. He had one and a half tackles for loss. He was consistent. We obviously saw Jerron Cage with the, the fat man touchdown, the big man touchdown. He was rumbling. And if he's 305 pounds, I'm 305 pounds. But I do think that they looked good. Ohio I noticed State's defensive tackles are all awesome. Like obviously Haskell Garrett is great, but now, you know, Antoine Jackson, Jerron Cage and Tyleek Williams, all of these guys have looked really good in limited in limited reps. And I think that's that's been a key of Ohio State being able to stop the run this year without, you know, particularly stellar linebacker play has been just how good these defensive tackles have been. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. We, uh, I think early in the season or preseason, we talked about the lo- the loss of Tom- Tommy Togiai and we were wondering, hey, who would fill the spot? It's been filled by committee, but I even thought Teron Vincent lo- played pretty well last night. I don't even know if we saw Tyleek Williams on the field. He definitely didn't uh, accrue a stat, but I did notice, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like there was a lot more rotation up front, and we didn't see a whole lot of Haskell Garrett. He got a couple, you know, he had a pressure or two, I think. He knocked down a pass and he recovered a fumble, but he was credited with zero tackles. And I feel like I saw him out of the game quite a bit. Do you think that that was by design, or am I just seeing things? No, I mean, I definitely, you know, usually when Haskell Garrett's on the field, you could feel his presence. And I definitely feel like I didn't, you know, feel him out there a lot. So I don't know if, you know, he's a little banged up or what what else have you. Yeah, it did seem like there was a lot of rotation on the defensive line specifically um, that we haven't really seen the past couple of weeks. So I don't know if that was just, you know, to keep people fresh with the threat of, uh, you know, Sean Clifford being able to run and you need needing defensive linemen to run him down. But yeah, I, I think there was a, a pretty heavy rotation, especially up the middle on the defensive line in this game. And you know, we saw, you know, I thought we saw a little bit less of the, the freshman ends. You know, JT Malow you know, made a big play in, in one of his limited snaps, but I thought he and uh, Jack Sawyer both played less in this game. So it was, you know, they did change up the rotations a bit on the defensive line. And I don't know how much that has to do with, you know, the threat of a running quarterback or, you know, just the way Penn State plays offense. But it was it was interesting to see. Yeah, and I think Penn State dictated some of that as well. They went to a lot of no huddle. They had a ton of changes pre-snap, and I think that that was sort of part of their success too is they were switching things up a lot at the at the line. There was definitely a chess match going back and forth between Yursich and Matt Barnes, and I, you know, I thought Yursich actually called a really good game, but when you look at the stats, yes, yeah, Sean Clifford threw for 361 yards, but I mentioned it. He had to throw 52 times. They limited him as a runner, and what I really liked was the game plan. Right, wrong, or indifferent, Matt Barnes and company decided that they were going to blitz the hell out of Sean Clifford. They were going to try try to create constant pressure and, and let the chips fall where they may. And I thought that that was conducive to their success. I thought that it worked really well. You know, I mentioned the four sacks. There was uh, there were additional pressures created, and you limited the run. Sean Clifford was not able to do anything with his legs. I think he had one actual designed run outside of the pocket for five, 10 yards, something like that. And at the end of the day, you created the turnovers that you needed. Uh, They didn't capitalize off the first one, but they scored as a result of the second one. And then the Cam Brown interception essentially sealed the game. So they had a game plan in mind. They stuck with, and I thought it worked really well. 
at the end of the day, you held the team under 400 yards. If they passed for 250 and ran for 150, it's same difference, right? You'd be like, okay, that's a good game too. It's a decent game too. So Penn State was tilted more towards the pass. And yes, it worked at times, but sometimes that's volume. And sometimes you have to give credit to the opposing team. Jahan Dotson and Parker Washington both went for over 100. And they're both really good receivers. They were able to take advantage of some things in the middle. They took advantage of some Ohio State linebackers who are not great in coverage. And it's honestly, it's sort of hard to find linebackers that are, right? Like, yeah, you've got your Bobby Wagners and your Levante Davids, like guys like that in the league. But it it takes a while for linebackers to really fall into some sort of like comfort level in coverage, I feel like. And Ohio State has inexperienced linebackers. So uh, Penn State took advantage of that a couple of times. But all in all, I think that holding the team under 400 yards, forcing the three turnovers, and limiting their points. Look, at the end of the day, it's 24 points that you gave up to a Penn State team that I know they've not scored well the last couple of weeks, but they're capable of it. Sean Clifford, when he's on, is a capable quarterback. And when he's on, he's getting it to more than capable wide receivers. So you live with 24 points. Would you rather give up 24 points to Penn State or 27 to Wisconsin like Iowa did? Iowa was thought to have one of the best defenses in the country, and they gave up 27 to Graham Mertz and company. So when I look at those two things side by side, I'll take 24 points to Penn State when Penn State's playing you know, in a playoff type game for them. So I thought the defense played well. The secondary, uh, I I don't think they got exposed. Did they play great? No, but I don't think they got exposed. You know, Jahan Dotson, especially last year, took the top off this defense and he's capable of making the big play. They didn't let that happen. Yeah, they gave up some 20 and 30 yard gains. So be it. Um And I like where Matt Barnes is going. I feel like in recent weeks against certain opponents, he's really ratcheted up the pressure. So I think about next week, what's it going to be like when Ohio State's blitzing Adrian Martinez on every play? We could could see 14 turnovers at the rate that Martinez is going. So I like that he's getting aggressive. I like that he deploys the blitz, um, especially more often than they were in in the beginning of the season. So I think they're trending in the right direction. I liked this game from them. Yeah, and I think the Mike Yersich note is worth discussing as well because this is a guy who, as recently as 2019, was on Ohio State's staff. So he he knows almost better than anyone how to attack this team and their weaknesses. So I think you know having him on the sidelines calling this game for Penn State was, was a big reason why they were able to get those 24 points. He knows that Ohio State doesn't have really any coverage linebackers and he attacked the middle of the field. It was a good game plan. And for someone who, you know, he, he was in Columbus recently, he knows what this team struggles with. And, you know, the team he was on in 2019 was – a really good defense, but you know, even then, the, the linebackers weren't the greatest. That was probably their their biggest weakness on that defensive uh, defensive unit. So he knows that, and he came into this game with a game plan to attack them. And to his credit, they did. And so, you know, hats off to him. They called a good game. I think my biggest my biggest gripe with the defense in this game was the third down plays. Uh, Penn State was eleven of sixteen in this game on third down, and that's just something that can't happen, that especially rough. if it was you know if, on a higher powered offense. If you're letting that happen, it, it could spell really big trouble for you. So. 
But like we said, you know, a lot of that was these these short over the middle plays that were just beating these linebackers in coverage. And, you know, like Josh said, it's it's tough to find linebackers that could cover receivers, especially when, you know, especially against guys like Parker Washington and Jahan Dotson, these elite college receivers. It's it's a tough ask for linebackers. But, you know, Ohio State playing a little bit of zone, a little bit of man, they're gonna have to figure out a way to kind of take that away a little bit better. I know they're trying to you know, do a lot. The linebackers are, are tasked with a lot. You know, you got to stop the run, you got to stop the pass, you got to do all these things. So it is, it's a tough ask for these guys, especially since really none of them have any starting experience. Especially when you know you're putting a guy out there at Steel Chambers who's playing the position for the first time. You know, Taraja Mitchell has never started Ohio State. Cody Simon's never started Ohio State. So it's guys playing the position largely for you know for the first time in this kind of atmosphere and this kind of you know high level. So it's a lot to ask for these guys, but I think they have improved overall throughout the season. It's not. You know, they're not completely lost like they were in the first couple, three weeks. So that's good to see. And I think, you know, the more reps they get this season, the better. And I think they'll continue to improve as we go. Um, Josh, is there anything else you wanted to hit on on this game before we talk about the other Big Ten matchup that happened this weekend? No, I would just keep pounding the table. You know, it's a nine-point victory over the number 20th ranked team in the country. They were hungry for a win. They didn't come away with it. Offense was able to navigate some rough waters and the defense, like I said, um, bend but don't break sort of mentality, create pressure, blitz a whole lot. They gave up 24 points. I know that people are going to be critical of this. Ohio State was a three touchdown favorite, blah, 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 blah. Penn State might be distracted by the whole James Franklin thing. Whatever. I throw that all out the window. Penn State is a quality team. They're much better than what they showed against Illinois and Ohio State was able to come away with a nine point victory against a tough opponent. So end of story, deal with it and count your blessings. Right. We're moving on with another win. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's another W in the books. And it's a it's a you know, like I said, there's there's very fixable issues on this team. It's not like there's glaring weaknesses. They just got, you know, if they clean up the red zone stuff, they they win this game by 20, 25 points. So it's not nothing too crazy. I, I expect that they'll they'll fix that stuff moving forward. Hopefully the play calling gets a little bit better in these these big games, but nonetheless. Uh, the other Big Ten matchup that happened this weekend, the other big one in the Big Ten, Michigan State 37, Michigan 33. The Spartans take down the Wolverines as Jim Harbaugh loses yet another game to one of his rivals. Uh, this was the Kenneth Walker game. 23 carries for 197 yards and five touchdowns for the Michigan State running back. He is an absolute stud. Uh, Michigan led in this game for the majority of the game, I would say. And, you know, Michigan State surged at the end here to come back and for a big win for them. Uh, this is probably the most fun game of the day to watch, at least for me. I don't know about you, Josh, but this was a really good game. Obviously, you know, Ohio State fans are happy every time they see Michigan lose, even though it is Michigan State. But nonetheless, this was a very fun game to watch. And, you know, it's all, it's always fun to watch Jim Harbaugh blow a big game, and he's done it yet again. I thought it was really entertaining. And my biggest takeaways from this game were um, I, I have to give more credit and consider Michigan State more of a threat than I did. I, I thought they were good. And I thought that Kenneth Walker III was a good running back. Now I know that this is a quality team. And I know that Kenneth Walker III is potentially a high or not potentially. He is a Heisman candidate. He ran the ball really well. Um, I still don't know if I'm afraid of them. You know, I, Peyton Thorne does not impress me a whole lot and their defense gave up 300 plus yards passing to Cade McNamara, who was averaging like a buck 80 coming into that game and Michigan still ran the ball. Okay. 
Um, so it's not like they sold out on one to prevent the other. Um, but credit to Mel Tucker. That was a game that I think a lot of people expected them to lose. But Michigan finds a way, man. Uh, they had a 16-point lead in the second half. They went up 30-14, to 14 and they kind of just they hit a wall. They turned the ball over when they brought in J.J. McCarthy. They just uh, they get to the – in some years or in uh, certain years, they've made it to near the plateau, right? They've started out well, and it's just – it's always something under Jim Harbaugh, and he can't beat his biggest rivals. So I still think that Michigan is going to be heard from. I think that their defense is pretty good. They, just, they ran up against a buzzsaw in Kenneth Walker. Um, and I think the fact that Cade McNamara was able to put up 300 yards passing will maybe provide them some more balance. I forget the name of the freshman um, that they apparently just dug up uh, out of the dirt. They had not played him all year. He had two big touchdowns, including the 93 yarder. I think that both of those teams are still going to present an issue and a challenge when Ohio state goes up against them later in the year. Yeah, Andrella Anthony did his best Chris Olave impression coming in as a freshman in a big rivalry game and just going off for like seemingly no reason. Like you said, six catches, 155 yards, two touchdowns. He went crazy in this game, but it still wasn't enough. Um, I, I think, you know, I, I think Mel Tucker definitely deserves a ton of credit for this Michigan State team. This is a team that many, myself included, picked to finish dead last in the Big Ten East. This was not a team people expected to do much of anything. And now they're sitting here, you know, undefeated, big win over their in-state rival. And, you know, they just continue to keep getting it done. Their defense has looked really good. Their run game has been spectacular with Kenneth Walker, the transfer from Wake Forest. Um I think the big problem for both of these teams, you know, when they have to go up against Ohio State is that both of them are are very, very centered around the run game on offense. And as we've seen throughout the year, even when Ohio State's defense has been, you know, struggling at times, they they've done a good job against the run. And if you're if your biggest strength is the run game, that isn't the best, you know, matchup for you to go up against Ohio State because that's what their defense has stopped the best. So I'm not particularly scared of either Cade McNamara or Peyton Thorne in the passing game. So I think Ohio State's matchup with both of these teams bodes well, but I think we do have to, you know, Michigan State, we, we've thought for most of the year was kind of just, you know, oh, they're, you know, oh, they're 4-0, oh, they're 5-0, oh, but they're not really playing anybody. I think we do have to take them definitely more seriously than we did early in the year. I think both of these teams are much improved from what they were last year. Even Michigan, you know, with the loss, I think they're a much better team than we've seen in the last couple of years. I don't think they do. I don't, I'm not really particularly scared of their offense specifically because I don't think Kate McNamara is all that good. And it's, it was kind of funny because everyone's been like, oh, why doesn't J.J. McCarthy play? Why doesn't J.J. McCarthy play? And then he comes in and fumbles twice. And we're like, oh, that's why. But um, yeah, I mean, Michigan has like been touting Haskins and Corum as their, their two-headed monster at running back. And both of those guys finished with under four and a half yards per carry in that game. So not exactly what you want from your two supposedly star running backs. Um, yeah, and, you know, I look at it. I look at it like this because I'm in the, of the similar mindset that you are. I don't know that based on what we saw yesterday, either of these teams can keep up with Ohio State. And from a defensive perspective, yeah, Michigan State got the victory, but they gave up 552 yards to a Michigan team that had built their entire game plan around running the ball. It didn't work. So Cade McNamara threw for 383. So if Cade McNamara can throw for 383, and I know a lot of that was aided by a 93-yard touchdown, but I, I don't see why C.J. Stroud can't 
do the same thing or more. And I think it's going to come down to, can you stop Kenneth Walker the third? I think it's going to come down to that for the rest of Michigan state's opponents is, can you stop that guy? Because Peyton Thorne, again, he just doesn't impress me. He was 19 for 30, less than 200 yards. He threw two picks yesterday. And if you look at it on the season, he's completing barely 60% of his passes. Um, you know, two two twenty five per game. I, I think it comes down to one person, and can you stop that guy? Yeah, and it's it's funny because like they have <clears throat> they actually have really good receivers. Jaden Reed and Jalen Naylor are, yeah. are both really good, but you know, Payne Thorne just isn't. He doesn't quite have it. He he's a decent game manager. I wouldn't say he's a guy that's going to go out there and win you the game. That is definitely Kenneth Walker for them. Um, but yeah, like you said, lining up that many yards to the Michigan offense is not what you're looking for as a defense. And we we've talked about it time and time again. A lot of these Big Ten teams have very highly regarded nationally ranked offense uh, defenses, and it's because they don't really play any real offenses in the Big Ten until they play Ohio State. So it is it's kind of kind of tough to gauge. Uh, you know, both teams let up over 30 points to two teams that are you know very run heavy, which is not typical for either of these teams, I would say. But yeah, it was all, it was a really fun game to watch. And just talking about Kenneth Walker, um, I, I think he's squarely put himself in the Heisman conversation, if not the front runner at this point, especially with how this last weekend went. You know, having that type of game, five touchdowns against your rival in a, in a top 10 matchup is a huge feather in his cap as, a, as his big Heisman moment. Um, and he's just been spectacular all season for them. And, you know, Wake Forest is really good this year, too. Imagine how good they would be with Kenneth Walker still on the roster. But this guy has been tremendous this year. And I think, you know, as we kind of pivot here to Heisman conversation, I think Kenneth Walker right now coming, you know, after this week is probably the front runner. I know that, you know, Kenny Pickett was a guy that a lot were looking at last week after they beat Clemson, but he just lost to Miami. You know, Matt Corral is another guy that's up there. He just lost to Auburn. Neither of them played particularly well in those games. And, you know, Alabama was off, so we didn't get to see Bryce Young this week. But those were really, you know, the top three guys there. And now Kenneth Walker has this tremendous performance and he has a lot in front of him as well. If Michigan State can continue to to win the games on their schedule, you know they play Ohio State. If they come away with an upset in that game and Kenneth Walker has a big game, I think the Heisman Trophy is his to lose at that point. Yeah, he's a legit candidate. And I I thought he was good coming into that game yesterday and I watched uh, 90% of it, I think. Um, and I was like, yeah, I think he's good. He, he ran for 579 yards exactly during the first two years of his career. I was like, oh, okay. But then I was like, well, last night or last season was only seven games. So you're talking about 80, 85 yards a game. And I didn't know why he came to Michigan State. I, I still don't. Like, I don't know if he wasn't getting exclusive playing time at Wake Forest. I don't know if he just, you know, Wake Forest has been bad for a number of years, but so was Michigan State. So I don't know why he thought that that would be a better opportunity. Um, but regardless, he looks great. And I think he's going to be a hell of a challenge for Ohio State. And you're right. If he continues to put together some games like he has, um, especially against the opponents that they have left, they play against Ohio State, obviously. I'm trying to pull up the rest of their schedule right now. Um, you know, they'll go against Penn State and they go against Purdue next week. So, it, look, I, I don't know how great Purdue is, but they do have. Uh, a solid front seven, but if he's able if to, if I know up yards, anything about Purdue, it's that you don't want to play them coming off a really emotional top ten Big Ten win. Yeah, I, I don't know what you're talking about. That's never really happened around these. I've never parts, seen it happen, but, but I've just heard things. 
But uh, yeah, I mean, he plays some real teams. Purdue's not going to be ranked. I don't think anymore. You know, they're definitely not going to be ranked anymore. But if Penn State works their way back into the rankings, then you're looking at Purdue, Maryland. He'll probably run wild. And he closes against Ohio State and Penn State. So it's who do you close with? And he's going to have a couple opportunities to put up big yards against big time opponents. Yeah, looking at the updated odds in the uh, on the DraftKings Sportsbook here for the Heisman, uh, Bryce Young is the favorite at plus 180. C.J. Stroud second at plus 450. And then right behind him is Kenneth Walker at plus 500. So he is now third place in the Heisman. He is one of the only... He's the only running back in the top six, and then coming in at number seven is Travion Henderson at plus three thousand. So he is—he's—he's he's worked his way up there with the, you know we know this is a mostly quarterback award. It is tough for any other position player to win it unless you really, really have a great season. But that is the type of season he's having. And if, like you said, he has—he closes with Ohio State and Penn State. If he could keep this up and, and they pull off some of those wins, uh, I, I think it's his trophy to lose. And you know, a lot of these other teams, you know, Bryce Young's still going to have to go up against Georgia in the SEC title game. C.J. Stroud has a lot of tough games ahead of him. You know, Matt Corral is, you know, Matt Corral. But, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's very possible that Kenneth Walker could win this award. And, you know, hats off to him. He's been tremendous all year. And if he does wind up winning it, he, he certainly deserves it. Yeah, I think that the quarterback play is just... I think it's more sustainable. That's why, and we've seen it. You know, that's obviously why it takes a truly transcendent season from a running back to win this award. And if I had to guess, I would say that Kenneth Walker is going to remain effective, but not to the extent that we saw yesterday. Um, You know, I, I give Purdue a little bit of credit. And then I think, regardless of what's going on at the end of the season, I think Ohio State and Penn State are going to be keyed in on him to where they're not as concerned about the Michigan state passing game. I mean, you saw what Penn state's defense did as long as they're still engaged come November 27th, if they can limit Kenneth Walker and, you know, eliminate one 70 yard run, then that puts a big dent in his chances. But um, he's been a revelation. I think he's clearly one of the best players in the big 10 and a lot of credit goes out to that guy because I, I know coming into the season, I was like, okay, great. Michigan State's got a capable running back, and he's proved to be a lot more. Yeah, Josh, what do you think of C.J. Stroud being in, in the, the second highest odds at this point in the season? After you know, after some Ohio State fans had wanted him bench early in the year, he's now worked his way up to number two behind only Bryce Young in the, the Heisman betting odds. I think that if you quarterback for Ryan Day, you're always going to have a shot. Um, and that might sound, that might sound like cocky or arrogant, but he's always going to have weapons and he plays for a, a great creative offensive mind in Ryan day and Ohio state, you know, knock on wood, hopefully does not fall victim to some of these two and three lost seasons. So while I'm surprised, I can't say that I'm shocked because he's just, he's surrounded by so much. And I I certainly wouldn't have said it earlier in the season, but he's learned, he's progressed, he's developed to where now he knows how to quarterback this offense. He knows how to facilitate. And if he can facilitate and then make five to 10 great throws per game, he's going to put up numbers. I still think that if I had to put money on a favor right now, I'd probably go with the betting one. And that, that would be Bryce Young because he's been great. And Alabama just, they get that hype and they haven't suffered, uh, you know, they've suffered a loss, but they're still going to have these high profile games. It's going to come down to if and when they play Georgia for me and Bryce Young. But 
I think CJ Stroud's got a chance, especially because, like I said, he plays quarterback for the Ohio State University. And you look at Dwayne Haskins, Justin Fields, now CJ Stroud, you're going to get some sort of consideration. Yeah, I'm going to be honest with you. If this award actually went to the best player in college football, it would go to Jordan Davis at Georgia, the <laughs> defensive tackle, because I think he is actually the best player in the country at, the, at what he does. He is incredible at defensive tackle. Like, he should be playing in the NFL right now. And I know, you know, that whole Georgia defense is insane, but he, he specifically, you know, for a defensive tackle to jump off the page, you really, really got to be special. And he is that type of guy. Um, you know, that was one of the other, you know, I guess bigger games of the weekend. Georgia just manhandling Florida. Uh, kind I was of, off kind about of, that Kind one. of what everybody expected. I mean, yeah, I mean, I kind of thought that, you know, I said when I did my betting odds preview this past week, I said take the under because I don't see how Florida scores. And that was kind of the right play there. Uh, but yeah, that Georgia defense is insane. I think jo- Jordan Davis is plus 8,000. He's like 12th or so in the Heisman betting. He's not going to win now, it. But Now, I have to say <laughs> this, though. Like, he's also not on the field as much as you would think. They flashed his snap count, and I think he's on the field for like 50% of their defensive snaps. Now, obviously, they've had some blowouts too, but while I agree with you that he is one of, if not the most effective players, I think that snap count's going to work against him too because they've got a lot of good guys on that defense. Uh, you know, Nicobe Dean had a pick six yesterday. He's a hell of a linebacker. So, yeah, I think he's super disruptive. I think for his size, his athleticism is like, uh, it's from another planet, but it's, it's going to be impossible in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, he's not even really going to have the stats to do it. I'm just trying to pull up his stats here. I think he only has like two sacks on the year or something. He could win defensive player of the year though. And I would be like, yep, absolutely. Oh yeah, for sure. And he should, but um, yeah, you know, the Heisman, the Heisman, as we know, is really a quarterback award. And so even for a guy as good as Kenneth Walker to win it, it will take a, a big effort, but he is certainly capable of doing it if he wins some of those big games. And we will continue to monitor, you know, CJ Stroud's candidacy in this. If, if, you know, Bryce Young loses another game, if they, if he struggles in a game and CJ Stroud continues to ball out against some of the, you know, against Michigan State and Michigan that he still has on the schedule, his, the door is wide open for them to, you know, I, I'm, I think all three of those guys will probably wind up in New York unless one of them really falls off, but I think I think the door's open for CJ Stroud to win it as well. And it's funny to say, given how he started and the, the kind of the question marks around him at the beginning of the year for some and you know how good he's been recently. And like you said, if you play quarterback for Ryan Day, you have these weapons that he has, it does make the job a lot easier. But I do think CJ Stroud has played well even Gene, outside I wanna, of that. I, I don't wanna this guy's not gonna win a Heisman, but I, I truthfully want to get your opinion on this and what you think of the whole sort of situation. Um Chris Olave is not gonna win a Heisman. He's not going to win the Bolitnikoff. He may walk away, or he hopefully does walk away with some Ohio State records. But before we kind of close this out, I was thinking about stats and just pulling everything up. What do you think? How do you think that Chris Olave feels about this season that he came back for? Um, he's third on the team in yards. He's tied for second in catches. He's gone these games now where um, I think I think we saw him get shut out catches wise in a game. He had three last night. Do you think that, do you find that odd at all? Do you think it's, it's, uh, you know, peculiar that Garrett Wilson is leading the team and Jackson Smith and Jigba is right behind him as far as like catches and yards, or am I just, am I reading too much into it? 
I mean, like, do you I, think I, it's hurting his stock? I guess I, I don't think it's hurting his stock because I think that in you know all the pl- games he's played, he's played really, really well. I think if anything, it's you know it's helped his stock to see just how well he's continued to play for a for a third straight year now. I think scouts like to see that kind of consistency, so I don't think it's hurt his draft stock at all. But I just think you know with with the emergence of Jackson Smith and Jigba as a true third option, and and with how much teams know about how good Chris Olave is and how much of a threat he is deep, I, I think teams have really keyed in on trying to take that away, and you know a lot of Chris Olave's game was the deep ball, was that that long touchdown pass. And I think that, you know, if you're a safety going up against Ohio State, you're looking for number two on the field and trying to keep him out of the end zone. So I think it's, you know, defenses know how good he is. They're really keying in on him. And I, I don't think it's I don't think it's anything he's done. You know, I think he's played really well. He hasn't I, I don't think he's had really any drops that I can recall, or at least in any big spots. So he's played really well. He continued to be Chris Olave. I just think that teams know more about him and that Ohio State has more options than they've had that they trust. This year, you know, with, with the Justin Fields, it was really just the Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave show. And now they have JSN and Jeremy Ruckert in there as well as, as options they trust, as well as Travion Henderson out of the backfield. So I think it's just more spreading the wealth and that teams are keying in on him more. But I still think he's going to be, you know, a pretty easy first round pick in the NFL draft, if not, you know, the first or second wide receiver off the board. Yeah, I can see that. I just, uh, you know, I, I envisioned a season where he may put up 1,500 yards and 15 touchdowns. He may still put up 15 touchdowns. But the yardage isn't going to happen. But um, we've talked about it before. It's, it's a great problem to have when Jackson Smith and Jigba has kind of ascended to, I don't know about stardom. If, if not, he's close. And then you mentioned Ruckert too. 19 catches. All right. Like look out 30. It's coming. I think, he might, Rucker- I think he might be closing in on or has broken an Ohio State tight ends record. I don't know if it's career or season, but I'm pretty sure he's close. He looks good, man. Like now he missed a couple blocks last night and he had the first fumble, which I don't really bang him too much for, you know, he was fighting. He thought he was probably out of bounds. Um, But as a pass catcher too, he's really come on. They've actually started to look for him. So again, all good problems to have all having all these guys on the team is, is something you're going to take eight days out of the week. Yeah, I'm just I just found this now. Uh Jake Stoneburner's school record is 13 career touchdowns and Ruckert has 12. Yeah, I knew he so was close if not there. He is he is approaching a record and he has been a very good tight end here. He's another guy that's probably going to be drafted pretty highly in the NFL despite not having a ton of production at Ohio State. That's just kind of how things go, but you know, the way he's been blocking this year especially has been tremendous and he's, you know, proven himself as a as a capable pass catcher. So, I think he's going to be another guy that Gets looked at pretty highly by NFL draft scouts, even if the stats aren't quite there. But yeah, just going back to Chris Olave, I mean, he's just, he's so smooth out there. He's so good at getting open. And I just think, you know, even if he doesn't catch another pass the rest of the season, it's just so clear if you watch him on film that he's just a a nearly perfect wide receiver. And it's just a lot of fun to watch him play. So I don't think that, you know, even if the stats aren't there, that it's going to ding him in the NFL draft. I think the scouts don't really care about the stats and they care about, you know, how you look on film. and, And Chris Olave checks all the boxes when it comes to that. Yep, I, I took us off on a tangent there, but we had the Heisman talk, and that was a guy who I had high hopes for coming into the season, but uh, you want him on your team, and I think he's a really great teammate too. So that's just credit to him. Another touchdown last night, even though he only had three catches. Uh, you know, 
I, I distracted us. Reel us back in, Gene. Reel us back no, in. No, it's fine. I mean, Chris Olave is plus 15,000 in the Heisman odds if you want to get in early before he has six touchdowns a game the rest of the year and make a ton of money. I'm, I'm all with you on that. So uh, I'm good with that. Him and Garrett Wilson are both plus 15,000 in the Heisman odds. It's interesting to see that Jackson Smith and Jigba isn't even on here at all. And I know I'm asking a lot for all three wide receivers on Ohio State's team to be even listed in the Heisman odds. But it is funny just because like JSN has almost been one of the more consistent guys in terms of like stats at least every single week and we know that you know when it comes to NFL draft scouts might not be swayed by stats but we certainly know Heisman voters are so it is interesting to see that he's not on there at all but nonetheless all three of these guys are great and uh, it's good to have him on the team so uh, we will be back with you sometime early this week to preview the Nebraska game. We'll also talk a little bit about the uh, college football playoff rankings. We will probably record before those are officially announced on Tuesday night, but we will do a little bit of a preview of what we think will happen going into that as well in our Nebraska preview. Uh, so that'll probably be dropping on Wednesday. Um, other than that, Josh, you have anything else to add before we get out of here? No, I'm ready to hit those predictions on Tuesday. I know like most other people, mine are going to be 100% accurate. And uh, not going to piss anybody or any fans off. So I'm ready to roll on that one. Absolutely. None of my predictions have ever been wrong. And if they are, then they're not me. It's an imposter. I I didn't say those things. Um, You have no record of it. Anyway, uh, this has been Hang Out in the Holy Land. Uh, be sure to like, rate, write, like, rate, review, and subscribe, all that good stuff. Be sure to check out us, uh, all of our good stuff over at landgrantholyland.com. We'll be doing a bunch of good stuff there. Oh, I didn't mention, the one thing I want to mention before we get out of here is just that this was uh, a perfect scenario for recruiting for Ohio State because this atmosphere, the, the Scarlet Out worked to perfection. I thought it was a really, really good crowd, and, you know, Ohio State doesn't always have the best game day atmosphere, but I thought this was a really good crowd, and to get a big win like that in front of seemingly every big recruit in the country, Country, uh, was certainly important for recruiting. So maybe we'll talk about that a little bit as well on Tuesday because uh, CJ Hicks, Captain Buckeye, the leader of the 2022 class, tweeted that there there's probably going to be some booms coming in the near future with the, how well that game went. So we'll be looking out for that as well. But if yeah, if you're looking for that, you know we we do a lot of recruiting stuff at Land Grant Holy Land. I think we do a really good job on that. So be sure to stay tuned in with that. That will be coming down the pipeline here as the you know the, we're getting close to the early signing day for the to 2022 class. So. Be sure to check in with that. But otherwise, uh, for Josh Julie, I am Gene Ross, and we will talk to you guys later this week. And as always, go Bucks.